You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. There's a story that began long before what's happening happened. And we were here for it. We witnessed it. And we care about it. That's the voice of Wendy Colgan, one of three residents with more than a combined century living in this city, who tell their side of the story of Seattle in today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Seattle's population has increased an astounding 15.4% since the start of the decade. For tens of thousands of newcomers, a bustling, growing Seattle is all they've ever known. But tucked within some of those houses, apartments, and condos surrounded by construction cranes are people who grew up in a very different city. I'm Jeff Shulman, and today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast gives you perspective on how the physical transformation underway in Seattle is affecting some of the city's longtime residents. Given history has a habit of repeating itself, hearing these stories will give you a better understanding of how Seattle's future growth may ultimately affect you and life in the city. You'll also gain insight into the challenges your fellow community members are facing so that you could be a part of building a mutually beneficial future. This third season of Seattle Growth Podcast is about the physical transformation of Seattle, what's happening, who's driving it, and how is it affecting the people of Seattle. In last week's episode, you heard from three changemakers who are influencing the future of this city. You heard from Martin Henry Kaplan, an architect who has successfully challenged recent legislation intended to encourage further development in single-family neighborhoods throughout the city. So we feel that that's a huge environmental impact uh, to make that, that change and converts really single-family land into investment multifamily property. You also heard from Roger Valdez of Smart Growth Seattle. Builders and developers are standing in line at the coffee shop with you. They're riding their bikes in the bike lane next to you. They're sitting in traffic with you. Um, they just happen to be the guys that build the place you live or work. And you heard from Ethan Phelps Goodman, who is organizing tech workers for housing. How Seattle transforms is really up to the people. The council elections matter. The mayoral elections matter. Uh, but more than that, to a large extent, the people that show up get to set the agenda. As we transition to today's episode, we turn to Seattle natives from different generations to understand what the rapid changes mean to them and how they fit into the context of the larger story of Seattle's history. First, join me as I sit down with Damon Bomar. I am here with Damon Bomar. He is the lead go-getter of That Brown Girl Cooks. Uh, Damon, thanks for joining me today. Uh, thank you for having me. So why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Grew up in the Central District of Seattle. Uh, went to Garfield High School. I did kind of like the what I call the APP track. I did a Lowell on Capitol Hill, Washington in the Central District, and then Garfield in the Central District as well. Um, yeah, after that, I went to college at Howard University. Studied, studied uh, hospitality management and uh, did not finish but came back to assist my mother in her startup um, in which we make hummus out of black eyed peas and also do, we call it a culinary collective. We do a lot of different things within the culinary industry. Uh, food production is our main, main thing. Uh, oh yeah. We're called that Brown girl cooks. And so tell me a little bit about that Brown girl cooks. We like to call ourselves a culinary collective. We host a variety of tenants within the culinary industry. We do pop-ups, uh, kind of temporary restaurant outfits, uh, food production, the hummus. We distribute in stores, PCC, Whole Foods, things like that. Um, and we also do cooking classes and education. Our, our mission is to connect 
communities with more wholesome and nurturing products um, and food options. You know, a lot of communities in Seattle are lacking, you know, healthy food options at an affordable rate. Um, and we want to open people's minds and pretty connect them with the different dots that Seattle has to offer because the resources are there. It's just people have to know about them. And so tell me a little bit about your experience growing up in Seattle. Man, it's interesting. Um, I would say because my mother is from Kansas City and my father never lived here. He lived in uh, Detroit. And so I always had this kind of, uh, I would say, a distant relationship with Seattle. I always wanted to be somewhere else. I never felt like I was from here, but I grew up here all my life. And so, like, I was born here out in Renton, grew up here elementary, middle school, never went to school anywhere else. And so it's interesting because I went to college, you know, gained a more of appreciation for Seattle and then came back. So what parts about Seattle did you learn to love after you left? Ah, man, the easygoing vibe, uh, the flow, the ability to have a dream and just enact that dream like magic, honestly. Take me back to when you were growing up and you, you didn't appreciate it as much as you do now. What were you seeing then? One of the things I learned being out in college is uh, Seattle is a place of many cultures, but it doesn't have a lot of culture itself. And I think that growing up, I told you earlier that I was in the APP program, which is a accelerated program for quote unquote gifted students. And um, I was the only uh, black male in my grade from second grade all the way up and through high school um, in these specific classes. Uh, elementary is a totally separate school and middle school was like a totally separate school within a larger school. And so I had a lot of conflict and a lot of uh, a lot of just stress um, being, you know, the only black child in these classes and just feeling ostracized, feeling different. Uh, and then also like longing to attach myself to this, you know, black culture or what I perceived to be at the time. And it kind of just, it made me have a disdain for Seattle a bit. And then some things, like I never got into a lot of trouble at all. I was always a good kid, but there were some things with some friend groups. You know, I lost some friends going into high school, um, during high school, lost some friends that I had grown up with. You know, and then when you become, I think, just like this cognizant time, like when you hit like 13, when you become, okay, this is who I am. I feel like it's interesting because as I'm longing to be somebody, it was in the opposite direction of where my cohorts were going. And it just, it made me dislike Seattle because I felt as if I didn't have enough support um, from my community. I didn't have enough support from being smart, um, quote unquote, <laughs> But it, yeah, it kind of, it kind of, it, 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 it had a lot of conflict in my head. Can you help people understand what it was like being the one black person in, in your APP classes? In elementary school, I didn't really notice it until like fifth grade. Like I was just me. And I think that, like I said, there's this time where you become cognizant as a child and you become, you like start looking around and taking in like the societal standards. And it's that time where it's like, you know, just feeling different. Liking different things. I remember I used to get made fun of because I like to have more than two pairs of shoes. Um, and then like high coming into high school, it was like being left out. You know, in a search for new friends, I got left out from the friends I used to have. As you're looking around in the central district of today, as Seattle's got more money and more people moving into the city and the central district, what changes are you seeing and, and how are they impacting you? Man, I'm seeing, so 
I lived on a block where everyone on my block between Marion and Columbia on 24th, um, there was four, five black, five black families. And literally, you know, now it's one, I think. And everybody owned their house and everybody sold it. Um, that culture is just not there anymore. And it's kind of sad. Like we used to have, I mean, we still have the Emoja Fest and, and that parade, but it used to be a thing. Like we used to have Emoja Fest at, at Judkins Park. And then there was another one. I forgot what the name was at Garfield, the lower Garfield Park. And then there was Soul Fest at Franklin. And all these things, like every summer used to be live. You know, the play, the Langston Hughes performer arts play used to be at down at Paramount. Used to pack the theater. You know, bubbling brown sugar at Garfield. It's crazy. All of these community oriented events and community, um, community like pillars are gone. C A Y A gone. You know, TLC is still there, but it's not the same. Um, and it's just like we don't have any. Now, as black people, our culture doesn't have any focal point anymore in Seattle. And it used to be, a, the CD used to be a focal point. And now it's like a lot of transplant, peop, young, people don't really, they don't know the history because nobody's taught them. Nobody taught them the history of the CD. What's it mean to you to see that culture leave your home base? I'm torn because on one half, um, I knew Seattle was going to go through this change. I mean, if you were paying attention, you knew, you know, Seattle was going to blow up. But then on the other hand, it's sad because um, there's just, it's like, I feel like I'm lost in the city. My culture is lost. So culturally, I feel lost. Um, spiritually, um, I feel a little lost in the city and nowhere to grasp onto. Um, so that's that's the hard part. Any other feelings? I mean, there's hope because I feel like people are fighting back, you know, with like the Africatown Initiative and uh, the Liberty Bank uh, building that they're going to build on Union. I think that people are fighting back in a more aggressive manner, um, trying to provide that. Uh, but at the same time, it's just hard to get people to unify when you're living in Puyallup or Kent now. And so it's just sad because there's no connection. There's nowhere I can go in the city right now where I feel ultimately comfortable because not just because, um, I'm not saying I don't know why no, nobody else, but black people around, I'm not saying that, but it's like where my culture is accepted and I can lay back and chill and just be like, okay, I'm here. You know, I don't have to be anybody else. I could be myself. I'm listening to the music that I want to listen to with people that I know want to listen to it in the same way that I'm listening to it. You know, um, the food that I want to have, you know, and the experience, you know, that I want to have. And there's just not very much here in Seattle. So, again, you just feel like lost and alone at times here. And it just it's daunting because it just I sometimes I just, you know, I went came from D.C., man. I went to Howard. It's HBCU. It's the black Mecca. And so you see that standard and you're just, oh, man, you go anywhere. and People are catering to you, your culture. And um, and it's very prevalent there. It's very strong there. And it's just like, you know. Um, but here you come back and it's like, oh man, what's going on? Where my people's at? Where can I, you know, you know, where can I dab? You know, something like that. You know, where can I, you know, get some the best fried chicken or the best greens? Like actually, you know, and actually have a good vibe. You know, and I've been places. I think the problem is I've been too many places, and so it just you go to Atlanta and you see what's going on over there. And you come back here and it's like, Seattle's great. I love it, but come on, get it together. Let's get it. What do you think Seattle is losing? 
you miss out on the culture, man. And I think that that's, it's inexplicable in a way that I can't give you words that would just say, oh, you would be sad or this way. But there's just a lot of, like, when this, if you were able to go and, like, go back in time and go to a CD Panthers game, um, you know, back in the day, you know, I mean, yeah, it was a little rough, but, man, you would have a great time. You know, if you went to Bubbling Brown Sugar, you would be amazed at what these kids were able to pull together, um, especially, like, bringing, you know, Redmond kids and Franklin and seeing all the schools in Seattle come together. Um, if you've seen the parade, you know, I think that you would just be amazed at what, you know, what the drill teams were doing, what the, the marching bands were doing. And, and I think that there's these cultural things, the food, you know, uh, I'm not saying that soul food is the way, but food from the black perspective, like, I don't think it's very well represented here. Um, and I think you miss out on that because it's a different, I'm not, it's not better than the, the wonderful Vietnamese culture we have here not better i'm saying it's different and so you have less to look for you have less experience. i'm a person that wants to do different experiences all the time and so you miss that and then you miss also you miss out on the continuity that you can have with the community because people are feeling lost and they're angry and so if you're feeling ostracized from your community in seattle and you're angry then me connecting with you is going to be harder so you're it's harder to connect with your neighbor you know what I'm saying? And it's not even about color at that point. It's not about race at that point. It's just about, you know, a person-to-person relationship. Yo, one person's angry all the time. And that doesn't lend for a good relationship. doesn't lend for common ground. And so if you don't, as a, as a community, support the individuals in your community, then you're leaving somebody out. And so, you know, that just adds tension. There's a lot of tension right now. Especially like you go on the hill on a Friday night, there's hella tension. And it's and it's not just for it's not just against me as a black male, it's against everybody. You know, I've heard everybody talk about the things that are going on up there. And we're supposed to be Seattle. This is, you know, this is, you know, liberals capital of the world, you know. But it's there's a lot of deep things happening, you know, right now. The neighbor vibe is not there right now. We're not borrowing cups of sugar right now. <laughs> you know? And so as as the central district is undergoing a transformation like the rest of Seattle, mm-hmm. do you have any ideas of what members of the black community can do to ensure that the central district and Seattle of tomorrow is a place that you'd be proud of and, and happy to be living there? Get involved, man. Um, it's funny uh, my mom and I, we met down at this coffee shop on right next to Franklin High School called Compadre Coffee. And um, we they were having a, a, a meeting. And my mom was like, what are you doing? Are you doing? She, she's a very outspoken person. She um, They were laying out plans for the development of that area, that Mount Baker, South District area. Um, and she was like, you know, it makes me very uncomfortable that the people represented at this table don't represent this community. And you're making plans for this community. And... You know, we don't know anything about it. So that's when we got involved. And we've been involved for about six months now. And so knowing what's going on in your community, attending those meetings, being involved in your community, uh, planning those meetings, setting your own meetings about what you want to happen, you know, taking it down to City Hall, getting involved with the governor, getting involved with your representative. Like, I think, in my opinion, at the same time that you're gathering on your own, you need to, you know, push the limit on the political side as well or on the, the the larger community side as well. And if people really were paying attention, like, you know, take a moment, take a, take a day out of the month 
you know, and just go and figure out what organizations are doing in your area so that you know what changes are about to be about to be made. You knew about Uncle Ike's three years before it happened. And there were many community meetings before it actually was built. And so just know so that you don't get blindsided. You know, you don't get blindsided by the raids and property, you know, these urban villages that they're building. Um, you know about it so that you know that in five years I need to save up so that my property taxes are going to my property taxes are going to rise. And so I can prepare for that so I can keep my house, you know. And so I think that if you get involved and and like just information, man, there's just, just all out there. And so get that and utilize it as a weapon so that you can defend yourself. As the central district's undergoing a transformation, just like Seattle as a whole, and you have well-meaning non-black people moving into historically black neighborhoods, do you have any ideas as to what they can do to make sure that the central district of tomorrow is one that, that you feel excited to be a part of? From my experience, I think that people need to get aggressive about releasing their fear. And I think that as soon as you ingratiate yourself into the community and be aggressive about meeting people and be aggressive about creating that community, um, I think that that'll help, you know, because it's, it's not just a CD that got gentrified. Um, it's all of Seattle. Seattle used to be a very working class city. Um, we're talking about Ballard. Ballard was a big one, honestly, for me. Like, seeing Ballard now and what it used to be, it's crazy. Very, you know, Scandinavian working class, boat fisherman neighborhood, you know, place. I never really went over there. Um, but to see it now, it's like, wow, it's really changed. Even Capitol Hill, um, all of the neighborhoods, West Seattle, Beacon Hill, Rainier Beach, um, all, every culture, every race, religion has been gentrified. Um, not all the way, but for a lot of this, a lot of it. And so it's just recognizing that this is happening all over the city and all over the country. And being mindful of that and getting rid of your fear and connecting with people that you won't normally connect with. I think that's, that's, once you attack that fear and really be mindful about it and, you know, be mindful of your surroundings and say, hey, I'm not going to be scared because I don't know who this person is or I don't know what they're about. Uh, I'm going to actually embrace it and say, what are you about, brother? You know, what are, you know, I think that that'll help. And even if you're not a personable person, just working on that fear on the inside you know, your body language will change. You know, you you know, not necessarily smile at people, but you look people in the eye and say, you know, you don't have to smile. You just, yeah, how you doing? Acknowledging people as they pass by. You know, we're all neighbors. We're all we're all here together. Any concluding thoughts on growth and change in Seattle? You know, change is going to happen. You know, we wouldn't be human if we didn't change all the time um, and didn't strive for a better or strive for a higher level. Of, of living and so change is going to happen it's just about uh, uh knowing about the change researching the change finding out about the change and then embracing for it and also being aggressive about it so it's just prepare 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 and be knowledgeable know your craft know your community um because i think that we can we can we can do this you know um we can band together we can be neighbors again <laughs> well, Damon, yeah. uh, thank you very much for sharing your time and perspective. I really enjoyed hearing your voice today. Thank you. For additional perspective from someone who has spent several decades longer in this city, join me as I sit down with Wendy Colgan. I am here with Wendy Colgan, an interior designer here in Seattle. Wendy, thank you for joining me today. 
Thank you. Uh, why don't you start by telling me just a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, I'm a native Seattleite. I grew up uh, out uh, by the airport in South Seattle. I went to the University of Washington, and I've lived in the Seattle area for about 58 years. Walk me through kind of your early memories of Seattle. What was this like for those who are just moving here? Well, it was really kind of a small town, to tell you the truth. Um, we really only had sort of one big employer, actually two big employers. We had Boeing and the University of Washington. Uh, so we were kind of a manufacturing town, if you will. Uh, the downtown core was small, uh, just a few major retailers down there. Frederick & Nelson's was a major department store out of Marshall Fields um, in Chicago, which is no longer with us. Nordstrom's, of course, was there. And then iMagnum's, those were sort of the anchors in the city. Um, the Pioneer Square area was really sort of the spooky part of town. A lot of um, uh, transients and alcoholism and just problems down there, and most of us were um, kind of nervous about it. And then um, the waterfront was a very different place. It was a working waterfront back then. Um, a lot of uh, active shipping boats, uh, fishing boats coming into piers where the aquarium is now. So it was a very different, different place than it is today. So I'd imagine there were several periods of time where things have changed in those 58 years. Can you walk us back to the earliest time you started noticing that Seattle was changing? And in Seattle was kind of a one-company town, and our fortunes rather rose and fell with the, the fortunes of Boeing. And probably the biggest change I remember seeing as a child or a kid, really, was um, when the SST project for Boeing was scrapped. And uh, massive, massive, massive layoffs occurred in the city, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people lost their jobs. Um, literally, people were streaming out of Seattle at um, record numbers. There was no other work here for uh, displaced uh, machinists or aerospace workers. They needed to leave the state completely and maybe go to California. So what happened really is we were a bus town at that point. The losses here, housing prices crashed. It was catastrophic. Layoffs had occurred before with Boeing. They came and went, depending on how their sales had done with planes, but nothing like that where they had lost a program that so much had been invested in. And how old were you at the time? I was in middle school. And what do you recall feeling as a middle schooler? Despair, like uh, empty houses. Our parents were all very nervous. The people who still had their jobs weren't sure how much longer they would have their jobs. There was like a palpable holding of breath. Nobody really knew what or how or if we could recover from this and how a recovery might come about. Again, we were not a diversified economy back then. We really just had these two large employers. And then everything else was kind of um, uh, sort of service people who did things for people who worked for Boeing. So if you didn't have Boeing, you didn't sell cars, you didn't roof roofs, you didn't mow lawns. It was bad. And schools also. Boeing subsidized some of our schools back then. If you um, were in a public school and you had a parent that worked for Boeing, Boeing paid a stipend for you to be in school to, to support the pressure that Boeing brought into the school system when they brought all these employees to work here. And so the schools lost all their money and funding, too. So programs were cut left and right. It was bad. It was really bad. And so when do you remember things getting better? And what was your favorite part about the getting better? 
I think things got better slowly and cautiously. Um, after the Boeing bust, there were a lot of people who refused to work for Boeing again. And so they got jobs in other industries or they retrained because Boeing was want to lay people off. And so that instability became um, unpleasant. Uh, so it kind of became... It grew kind of slowly back to prosperity. I think for me, the heyday of Seattle um, is right around my college years, my my youthful period in in Seattle, which would have been in the the 70s going into the very beginning of the 80s. And at that time, Seattle was a really cool little town. The neighborhoods of Ballard and Fremont and Queen Anne and Capitol Hill and the U District were very distinct neighborhoods in their own right. They had um, individual merchants who lived in these, lived and worked in these neighborhoods who had their own little individual shops. And these neighborhoods were, they had um, shopping districts that were very colorful and um, interesting with interesting shops and interesting uh, proprietors. And each neighborhood was quite distinct, a little bit like New York when you think about. New York neighborhoods. It was a bit like that, too. And when did you start to notice that changing? The first neighborhood that kind of fell to the axe in my own mind was really Capitol Hill, which started its um, descent into the abyss in the early 80s when a movie theater that had been on the corner of Broadway and Denny was converted into a giant big box drugstore. Uh, so that was the first, the first sort of death knell for the the shopping strip that was Broadway, which really went from Denny to Roy Street uh, along Capitol Hill. The next nail in that coffin was when Fred Meyer came in, and a mall was built in the middle of this retail um, walking neighborhood, and then um, another sort of multi-story mall came in, and then the final death knell really was the QFC that kind of came in and took over that that strip. And while it brought convenience, certainly that's true, it also completely killed um, the retail experience that had been Broadway. And we started to see um, transience and drug addiction, um, homeless kids, um, just all kinds of crime really coming into the neighborhood that made it a far less pleasant place to walk and stroll. And so you kind of avoided it. And so you said Seattle used to be a bit of a small town with distinct neighborhoods. When did it grow up? I think it was starting to grow up and right before the the financial housing crisis. Uh, there were cranes all over the city right before 2008. Then that happened. Real estate plummeted. Cranes came down. Everybody sort of sat still. And then things started to happen again. And I would say the last year and a half has been cataclysmic, but really this 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 current sort of phase of growth seems to me to be about five years old. And, and so you feel like this last burst of growth in the last five, six years or so is unique in its time from the Boeing despair till now? Yeah, it is. I mean, first of all, it's happening at a, at a pace that's not on par with what happened with Boeing. Um, it's like a rocket ship out of the ground. Um, and it's also got, I mean, unlike Boeing, things have been, you, there's a lot, so much teardown that there's almost nothing left of the original city, either in terms of the way it felt physically um, or even the way it looked, like the architecture from the city 
from the original city is largely gone, um, mostly replaced by um, big, tall glass towers that are architecturally really similar because they're all being built at the same time. So the city has this really monochromatic feel to it today that it, it didn't used to have. So you, you've seen what you call despair as the city is in decline with a, a major employer leaving town. And you've seen what you've called a rocket ship, which is the latest growth. Uh, how do those two compare? And what, what do you think of the latest growth? Well, the latest growth leaves me a little breathless, and uh, to be quite honest. I mean, um, for starters, I think um, there's certainly the financial pressure that has come with this growth and the, the wages that are paid to the technology workers who've come to work here. Uh, everybody wants to live in Seattle. It's a beautiful place for sure, but um, it does come at a cost, and that cost seems to be that natives um, have to leave. They either can't afford to stay in the city because the rents that they pay or that are being demanded for the properties that they've lived in in the past are outpacing their ability to pay for them, or if you're an older person who owned a home here, what you can sell your home for is just um, too good to be true. And so you sell and you move on. And I think what that's done is it's left a, a population that seems very um, fresh and new to the city without a lot of um, diversity in terms of age or point of view. I mean, there's cultural diversity is increasing in the city, and I think that's a very good thing. But the population seems rather uniform in terms of age, and it seems much more male than it once was. And it doesn't seem to have a lot of patience for or interest in people who are not of that generation. And so you said people are, are forced to leave. Do you anticipate yourself one day being forced to leave? And what do you mean by forced well, it's pure economics. I mean, um, if you aren't an IT worker being paid a six-figure salary, you can't afford the rent. And if you don't own a home, which you likely can't afford to get into, you just don't have any housing options. There's not, there's not a way to make it work. Um, even cohabitating is very difficult. Um, it's difficult to find properties. The landlords really can write the rules about things. Um, it's just very difficult to have the kind of stability that one would want. If you're um, starting to go into retirement, retirement incomes largely don't allow for rents in the twenty-five to $3,500 range, which is where they're headed. And so what are some of the things that you feel Seattle is losing? Well, for one thing, I think some of the things that I saw or that were possible in the city when rents were more reasonable, things like dive bars that made for an interesting, percolating um, uh, laboratory for music, those are largely gone. Well, they are gone, not largely gone. They're gone. The Tractor Tavern is probably the last one left. Do you have examples of others that you've lost? Oh, there's all kinds of them. Like There were all kinds of places along First Avenue. There, there were places that went from... Um, starting at the Pike Place Market all the way up into like like um, Bell Street, um, all along First Avenue, there were joints, little joints. Um, there were places in every neighborhood where there was, you know, just a joint where you could go get a beer and somebody might be playing. And there were places like the Tractor, too. There were more of them. Um, people have left or closed up or it just became un unprofitable. There's been changes in... Um, 
yeah, I mean, everything feels pretty shiny and pretty corporate. Um, even the restaurant culture that once was around doesn't feel very varied anymore. Um, you might have one restaurant or one restaurateur like Tom Douglas who does like seven restaurants. And what else are we losing as Seattle's growing so much these days? Well, I think that the experience when you walk along a city street in Seattle is really not very um, interesting anymore. And again, I believe that that's probably got something to do with rents. Um, we don't really have retail shops uh, that you can pop in and pop out of anymore um, downtown. When you stroll along the street, um, it's mostly food, liquor, and coffee, peppered with an occasional um, hair salon and a place to get um, pet supplies. There's not really boutiques. I mean, there's one or two, um, but not in the way that there once was. Like places that kind of, for me as a city dweller, the window displays of shops are what bring um, some of the color and vibrancy to a walking experience in the city. It's not just about getting from point A to point B. It's also being thrilled along the way. So with the challenges that, that you've raised, if, if you were in charge of Seattle, what would you do? What changes would you make? Well, I think one thing would be um, to create some open spaces in the city. I mean, I think we're getting to be um, just caverns of steel skyscrapers that are just office parks. The city feels more like a corporate campus and less like a dynamic thriving metropolis. So one thing would be to get a little elbow room down there so that the people who do live in the city have destinations to go to, like, oh, let's go down to that park over there, or let's go over here, instead of just like, let's do our work and then get the hell out of Dodge. Then the other thing I think I would do is um, I'd put a moratorium on tearing down every facade. Maybe it's too late. Maybe they're all already gone or will be by the time we're done with this summer building. But um, it seems to me that when cities grow, and I, I, what comes to mind are places like Paris or uh, London or um, uh, Rome or Milan, they grow, but they don't annihilate the culture or the feel. I mean, when you're standing in Paris, you still know you're in Paris. They haven't obliterated the stone facades of Paris, even though they're, they've also added other modern buildings in amongst them and built other modern buildings in and around um, the old ones, that there was something of that architectural integrity that retain, was retained in the city. So I lament that. It may be too late for that to be retained. And then the other thing, I, I, I mean, it might be too late. Retail's dead. But I don't think so. I think everybody enjoys um, having their senses stimulated, whether it's visually and not just by eating food, but, you know, that the moments of strolling, especially as we walk more in the city, and that's a good thing, not to have it be such a bland experience um, where you're just passing the same old, same old, same old, the same type of establishments over and over and over again. Any concluding thoughts on growth in Seattle? I guess I hear all the time about what a great city Seattle is, how much I love it here in Seattle, but I guess I wonder, do you really know Seattle? My sense is that... Um, there's more to the city than just its pretty mountains and the water that surround it, although lovely they may be. There's a whole history to this place that made it what it is, and um, that history is a really kind of a working class sort of thing. And um, 
like in so many places, not just in America, but in the city too, that's bumping up against this sort of new and modern thing. And um, it isn't always a smooth thing. It isn't always a comfortable thing, this this rubbing of shoulders. Um, so I guess it's always good to know a little bit more than what's on the surface about a place that you are, digging a little, asking a little, reading a little, to understand um, what brings us here. There's a story that began long before what's happening happened. And we were here for it. We witnessed it. And we care about it. Wendy, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and hearing your perspective. Thank you. For another perspective about growing up in Seattle and the changes observed throughout history, join me as I sit down with Alicia Cross. I'm here with Alicia Cross. Alicia, thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. How long have you been in Seattle and and where did you spend most of your time? I've been in Seattle my whole life. I was born here. What neighborhood? Uh, The central area at that time. Are you still in the central area now? Now I live in West Seattle. Why the move? After, you know, my father left and the family breakup, I just moved on, you know, because uh, the house wasn't left to us. My father, he he owned property. But when he left, I guess he must have sold it. When my, my father left, I was about 15, you know. And so uh, we had a hard lifetime, a hard coming up, okay. And so I ended up, you know, moving out to South End. Then I moved over to uh, West Seattle in 1979. But, you know, the central area was already going through, uh, it's gone through gentrification about two or three times. And so it was going through gentrification, i say like about 20 years ago. So you see the, uh, there's not that many blacks that actually live over in the central area anymore. And so what, what was it like when the central district was changing 20 years ago? Actually, it was starting to change before 20 years ago. I'm going to tell you when the central area was start, started changing was after the Vietnamese War. That's when it really, that's when uh, gentrification really started taking place. It, it was taking place then, then it kind of eased up a little bit, then it started up again. And so how does the, what's the difference feel like? So that first time that the central district really started to change, what do you start to lose? You start to lose control. You start to lose uh, businesses, you start to lose the uh, cultural connection that should exist in your community. It you know it it it, it breaks down. It, it it just breaks down the fiber because if anybody had told me, I'll say uh, uh, twenty years ago that I would see this happening. Today, I really would not have believed it. I really believe that the reason why black people appear to be the first ones to get displaced, I believe that just like you inherit wealth, you inherit poverty. See, I don't think a lot of people understand that. See, because, I mean, people... You, know, you have to ask yourself, what is racism? What is this big word, racism? Uh, actually, everybody 
It's not racist. I'm going to tell you what it is. Had it. And so black people are pretty much set aside because of habit. You understand what I'm saying? A habit that grows and grows and grows. So let's talk more about this, the habit that you're you're saying that that causes the displacement. What would you like to see change? How how would you like people to break this habit? Now that's a hard one. That's a difficult one. But I will say that the habit has to be broken within the media, within television, and the habit has to be broken in people's mind. You know what I'm saying? Black people have to get a second win about a hundred times. You know what I'm saying? Okay, uh, you get to pull yourself up by your bootstrap about a thousand doggone times. And while you're doing that, you get older. Your income starts to drop. You start getting, you know what I'm saying? You start getting uh, 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 what illnesses because it affects your whole life. It affects the way you sleep. It affects the way you eat. It affects the way you socialize. It affects your relationship with your family. See, being poor affects, makes you so you don't even want to wake up in the morning. When you don't really did all that you can do, and you still have not gotten on the money trail to where you can even sustain yourself. You know, you know what I'm saying? Off of following your dream, because see, I just don't feel that Seattle really wants a lot of black people here anymore. What is one or two things that either the city or we could ask the city to do to make sure that the black people in Seattle can, in fact, achieve their dreams? If you know, if people just study black history, they would get the facts before they just all of a sudden just start feeling like you know, uh, uh black people. Are not worth, uh, are not worthwhile. Alicia, thank you so much for sharing your time and your perspective. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. I want to hear your reactions to the content from these interviews. Share your thoughts on the Seattle Growth Podcast Facebook page, or reach out to me on Twitter at Prof Shulman. I'm eager to see the dialogue these conversations start. Next week on Seattle Growth Podcast. You'll hear why two individuals have decided to leave the changing city that they once called home for many years. You'll also hear from the director of the Office of Planning and Community Development about what the city has been doing in hopes of holding on to existing residents as thousands of new people move in every month. You don't want to miss next week's episode or any that are soon to follow, so please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Until next week, I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me in this journey in the third season of Seattle Growth Podcast.